Last Sunday, we had to cancel it. We hate doing that. I got a call from Doreen in our office uh, five minutes before I left. She said, are we thinking about canceling? I go, no, canceling. And I got in my car. I pulled back out of the driveway. And as soon as I put the car, I clicked it into drive. didn't even start. The car just took off on me, rolling down sideways down my hill that I live on and smashed into the, uh, the brick, uh, the stone retaining wall. And I got on the phone. I said, Doreen, let me... We're going to think that over again, and maybe, you know, we're going to have to figure something out. And I made some calls to the churches in the area, and uh, they were all canceled. I said, you know what? Let's not do this, uh, unfortunately. But we're glad we're here uh, today. Hope you could join us for our meeting afterwards. And uh, we're in the middle of a series uh, on, on the gifts. And uh, it's, it's one of those series that I've been kind of looking forward to and something that's so needed here uh, Art, not just here, everywhere, you know, in the church universal. Well, I, I want to tell you the story a little bit. Uh, I saw this three weeks ago, this story, and it really touched my heart. The story of Anson Hugh. He's 11 years old. Uh, there he is. Isn't he cute? Look at him. Look at that big pie face. He just... um, uh, at the age of three, though, Anson was diagnosed with glycogen storage disease. GSD, meaning that his body can't break down or store sugars. And he requires daytime, feed, daytime feedings. He, drinks, he has to drink raw cornstarch, if you can imagine that, every day. And nighttime feedings uh, happen through a, a tube that was inserted into his stomach surgically uh, when he was young. At the age of five, he experienced developmental delays that doctors initially feared uh, were, you know, the beginnings of, of or what they thought was connected to autism. And at that life, five years old, he couldn't speak a sentence that had more than three words. Most of his, it was just a couple of words at the very most, two or three words. And at that time, even at that young age, he became a target for bullies, you know, on, on the school ground. And so he often used to ask himself, he said, when he was little, why did God even put me here? Why did he even put me here? However, Anson discovered that he had a gift. He said this, he said, while everyone else was busy talking and talking, I listened and listened to all the sounds around me. His listening skills helped him develop something else, perfect or absolute pitch. It's very, very rare. Anson discovered that he could memorize and then master piano uh, pieces such as Mozart's Concerto in D minor, and with astounding speed and proficiency, he could learn these pieces. And as he learned to to play the piano, he began to play them. And Anson has won numerous awards in his young life. He's even performed at Carnegie Hall. His trials and his gifts led him to a deep faith, he said, in the living God. And he said this. He said, "I I can't decide many things that God has already planned, but I can still choose to work on my dream because I still have workable hands and a body to do it. I believe every single life is unique and special. Each has its own mission and purpose. That would be, that'd be a great made-for-TV movie, right? And, and you know, now roll the credits and people are crying and, and the whole deal. Um, but that's not the end of the story. About a year ago, a little less than a year ago, Anson received some difficult news. An MRI discovered that a benign tumor was starting to wrap itself around his liver, and it's probably going to have to end up with a liver transplant, which is a very, very tricky procedure with anybody with GSD. But once again, Anson found solace in God's faithfulness. And he said this. 
He said, I know there's always a reason for God to give me a special body and talent. My dream is to be a tool of God. So in the end, I can hand in a, I can hand in a beautiful report to my Lord in heaven with honor. And the most important thing is that I will never regret this journey on earth. Well, now that we all feel terrible about ourselves, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, I'm reading this, and I had a cup of coffee, and two seconds before I was saying, this coffee's cold. And I'm like, uh, okay, you know, that's, uh, that's pretty important. Um, but, you know, you have a kid like that. And, you know, I'm reading about this, and I'm reading this story. Um, and, and here's a kid. Here's a human being who every day is aware, aware of two things that a lot of times I forget, and a lot of times I think we all forget. Number one, God's goodness to us. God's goodness to him, and also he understood something else. He understood in his own place in extending God's goodness to others. God's goodness to him, his place in extending God's goodness to others. And as I read his story, I thought about this series of messages, and I said to myself, this is what this is all about. This is what, this kid is a living, breathing illustration of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Every study Bible that they sell in every Christian bookstore in America should have this kid's picture at the top of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with a little bio next to it. Because that's, that's, that's who he is. In this chapter, the Apostle Paul, we we've, we've began a couple of weeks ago, uh, he starts unpacking grace. Caris, grace. What is Grace. Well, grace is, is favor which someone receives uh, that's not based on any merit that his or her, he or her has, you know, worked up or they own. It's an undeserved, unmerited favor that is shed on them by God. That's grace. That's what grace is all about. And this chapter is about grace that God not only worked into you, into many of you, but that he wants to work into others through you. Grace that... He lets you in on. Grace that he wants to let others in on by using you. Now, this morning, as we continue in our series, Gifted, I want to answer just a couple of questions. Number one, how does God or how did God grace you? How did he grace you? How did he grace you? And secondly, how does he extend his grace to others through you? Exactly how does he do that? Now, if you understand this, you're never going to look at service again. You will never look at service again. So let's, you know, let's get into it. Let's answer those questions. Number one, God shows his goodness by working his gift of grace into individuals. He does show his goodness. In chapter 12, we see the mention of the Holy Spirit again and again and again and again. We're going to be looking at this entire chapter over the next few weeks. Now, who is it that the Holy Spirit ministers to? Second person of the Trinity. Well, basically, looking at it from the New Testament standpoint, the Holy Spirit ministers to two categories of, of people. Uh, I'm not sure. I think I got this from John MacArthur. I'm not sure. I forget. But, but yeah, I, he ministers to the saints, and he ministers to the ain'ts. The saints and the ain'ts. Those who, who know God and love God and follow God, and those who really... They really don't. Maybe they even think they do, but they really don't. The saints and the ain'ts. Christians and non-Christians. Now, to the saints, he assures us a lot of things. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He assures us that we're gods. He assures us that, you know what? We're adopted. We, we're loved. That we're part of the family. He teaches us. We open up the Word of God, and we say, what is this about? And all of a sudden, we're reading, and we're, and we're meditating on a, on a portion of Scripture. This probably happened to many of you this week. And all of a sudden, you say, wait a minute. I think... I think God's speaking to me. See, the Holy Spirit is doing that. 
The Holy Spirit frees us as part of his ministry. It says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There's freedom. Freedom from trying to somehow work hard, get on the moral treadmill, and somehow ingratiate myself to God. See, the the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit witnesses that to us. He gives gifts to the saints also, which are then, we turn around and re-gift, which we're going to talk about in just a little while. Now, the, the, listen, the, the work of the Holy Spirit is very, very multifaceted in the New Testament uh, to the saints. But first, I want to talk about the Spirit's work to the ain'ts. Because I think he, he, he alludes to it here in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In John chapter 16, uh, it says that the, the Holy Spirit ministers to the ain'ts in one major way. He brings conviction to their souls. It says this in John chapter 16. But very truly, I, uh, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. This is Jesus speaking. For unless I go away, the advocate, who's the advocate? The Holy Spirit. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong. And I like, this is the new NIV, and I really like the way they put it. He will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. See, the Spirit of God convicts the ain'ts of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. His ministry is to bring conviction about sin. Why? So that people can feel really, really bad about themselves and just kind of slump around all day. No, to bring them to God. His job is to bring conviction about sin, which he brought so many here this morning. So many of you. In fact, I'd say... Maybe most of you here this morning at one point came to that conviction. I remember as a five-year-old boy hearing the simple words read to me from the daily bread and realizing that I was a sinner before Almighty God. I knew it. I felt it. It moved me. It shook me. I understood that. We've said it hundreds of times here at the Crossing Church. The greatest gift that God has ever given you or anybody else is to open your minds to hear the gospel. We know what the gospel is. The first part of the gospel says, you are far worse, you're more warped, you're more depraved, you're more self-centered. Can I say it really straight? All right, can I say it straight? You are even more, hang on, evil. You have more of a capacity for evil than you dare believe or dare thought about yourself. Now, listen, that does not mean that everybody is as evil and bad as you could be. But I got to tell you something. You know, these guys, ISIS, that's going on here. You've been watching the news, right? The germ that is in them to do the acts that they are doing. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says the same germ is in us. The same curvature of the soul that flicks them, afflicts Me too. See, the germ of a child molester, the germ of a murderer, the germ of a homewrecker, the germ of a gossip that destroys the reputations of individuals and destroys churches. It's in you. It's in me. See, that all happened in the garden. And that truth has been seconded again and again and again and again throughout the scripture. That much is true. Now listen. Listen, that's not a big deal to get people to admit that they've committed sin. It's really not that big a deal. In fact, I've talked to, I, in fact, I have never spoken to a human being and I said, do you know you're a sinner? Yeah, you know, I guess, you know, 
kind of in a general sort of way. I know, you know, I'm guilty. I'm not as bad as that guy, but, you know, I, I think I'm pretty guilty I, at some point or another. But listen, when someone connects the dots and in a moment of crystal clear clarity says this, I have sinned against God and I stand condemned. Do you know who brought him or her around to say that? You know what the Bible says who brought them around? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brought that unique conviction to their soul. The Holy Spirit convicts the angst of sin. But Jesus also said that the Holy Spirit would convict or prove the angst to be wrong in another area. Not just sin, like, you know, I'm not, yeah, I guess I'm not that bad. No, no, you're, you're really bad. You're really warped. Okay, you're really warped. Not only is he going to convict the world of that, he's also going to convict the world of righteousness. Now, Paul understood something. On the road to Damascus, remember the story in Acts? Paul's on his way to do more damage to the church, to uh, tear apart more families, to bring uh, more horror. You know, dad would go into one prison. Mom would go into another prison. Many times they died in those prisons. The apostle Paul was a murderer, okay? That's what he was. And he was on his way to do more damage. And on his way to do this damage, he got knocked off his horse, right? By who? Remember? Jesus. And uh, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, and, and the Apostle Paul, in a moment in history, came to understand the depths and the horror of his sin. But it wasn't enough. See, he needed something else. He needed to be shown how all his life he was wrong, not only about sin, but he was wrong about righteousness. Now, a person who's convicted of righteousness goes beyond merely admitting that they're a sinner. She's not only convinced that she's sinful, but she's also convinced that the very best thing that she could do could not possibly make her acceptable to God. That's being convicted of righteousness. Now, the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the, the moral triathletes of their day. And the thinking, listen, if, if your daughter was going to marry a Pharisee, hallelujah. I mean, that was like the best thing that, you know, it's like marrying a doctor, it's marrying a lawyer, you know, the present day. It's like, whatever, she's, she's safe, she's going to be cared for, somebody in high standing in the community, Pharisees. Are the, that was as good as it gets to marry a Pharisee. So these guys were like, you know, the, the moral triathletes of their day. But they were also legalistic. And moralistic people. They were always conf confessing and repenting of their sins. No question about that. But they refused to repent of their own righteousness. They would say things like, yeah, we understand God's holy. We understand we're not. God is spotless in character, in his very nature. He has no experience with sin. We have a lot of experience with sin. We get it. Adam and Eve walked freely with God five seconds after rebelling. All of a sudden, they're running around trying to hide behind trees, sewing fig leaves together. We get it. But we think that there are a number of ways that we could be made acceptable to God. See, that's what the Pharisees said. And they worked real hard at it. They refused to say even our best deeds, even our greatest efforts are never going to make us acceptable. You know, there is one of my favorite spots in all of Scripture. It's, it's just, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a breathtaking scene in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, Jesus is telling a story. And he's, well, it says, to, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, the Pharisees and some of their cohorts, some of the people that hung out with the Pharisees, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Here's the story he told. Two men went up to the temple to pray. 
one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Folks, when it says they gave a tenth of, of all every year, a tenth of what, what they got, it's not a tenth of what they made that year. It was a tenth of their net worth. How'd you like to give a tenth of your net worth? How much your house worth? How much your car worth? How much you have in the bank? How much you have in stocks and bonds? Add it all up, and every year give a tenth. Anybody? We, we, I mean, we'll love to, we have some people who'd love to talk to you after the service if, you, if you're willing to do that. I've got to tell you right now. Okay. Uh, uh, these guys were serious. They were serious followers of the law and beyond. See, the law didn't go far enough. They added their own kind of, you know, shtick to the whole thing. To that, just so they wouldn't even get close to the edge. Keep people far from the... They were stricter than God. Okay? That's who they're talking about. I'm, I'm glad I'm not like this tax collector that I uh, uh, fast twice a week uh, and, and uh, give a tenth of all I get. And the tax collector's hearing this. And he's standing over here. And he says this, he looked, it says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look to heaven. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast. It's a sign of mourning. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What's the end of the story? What's God's deliberation and judgment on this? Verse 14. I tell you that this man rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you know what the tax collector was saying that the Pharisee wasn't? He was saying, if right this minute I turned around and never sinned again and did everything for you and loved you completely, even gave my life for you, oh God, I know I would still be behind the eight ball. I know I would still be way behind. How could I possibly pay for my sins? How could I po- You know, when you, when you go on the scale, it's not this. Because no matter, you know, no matter how many good things you do, what do you do with this? There's no erasing power. No matter how many good things. And he understood that. And besides, he looked at the Pharisees and said, you know what, I don't even know if I could live like that. I don't know if I could be as, as good as he thought. This guy was. Listen, folks, the difference between a Christian and a mere moral humanitarian is that the mere moral humanitarian or moralist is at his or her core self-righteous, and they're trying to make themselves righteous before God. And though they may be convicted of sin, they're not convicted of righteousness. And that means they still think that there are things that they could could do or are doing that will make them acceptable before God. They think they're saints, but they're ain'ts. You know what the Christian realizes? The Christian realizes that, you know what? I have to rely wholly, completely, first, last, middle, end on Jesus Christ, who on my behalf lived the perfect life that I never lived, was the substitute that I needed. He loved the Lord, his God, with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind. He loved his neighbor as himself, as I'm supposed to love him. I rely on what he did. See, I rely on what he did. He lived the life that I should have lived. See, that guy is convicted not only of sin, he's convicted of righteousness. Well, now, 
When a person has not just been convicted of sin, but has been convicted of righteousness, you know what happens? Jesus becomes like really precious to them. When they really get this, when they finally understand this, you know what? They start to become generous. You know, before they weren't generous, now they're generous. Um, uh, You know, things don't hold them the way they used to. Everything kind of pales. You know, when they have troubles, it's not that the troubles don't hurt. It's not that the troubles don't, don't strike them at their heart. But they know their pocket's been picked. But you know what? They have gold safe in a trunk at home. They know that. You know, a Christian is convicted of sin. A Christian is convicted of righteousness and also convicted of judgment. You're also convicted that Jesus Christ is your judge. And you realize that holiness and godliness and a life of obedience is the way in which you should go. If you're convicted of sin and convicted of righteousness, it doesn't mean, hey, I can live any way that I would like to live. You're also also convicted of judgment. You really begin to say, I'm going to be ruthless on myself. I'm going to pay any price in order to be more like Jesus Christ, to be holy, because I want to be able to face him like little Anson, you know, this kid, this theologian who plays the piano. I want to be able to face him and give him a beautiful report to my Lord in heaven with honor And the most important thing is that I will never regret my life on earth. You know what the first part of the gospel says? The first part of the gospel says that uh, I need to be convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment by the Holy Spirit because I'm worse than I think I am. It is a great gift from from God to the ain'ts. But the flip side of the gospel is equally true. You are far more accepted. You are far more loved. You are far more welcomed by God than you ever could imagine or dare hope to believe. See, this is the unique understanding of the Christian religion. It is unlike any other religion on the face of the earth. You know what Paul said? Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, he said, I became a servant of this gospel. How? By the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. He had written just a a couple of verses before. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. Here it is, again. It is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3? You know what it says? It says, no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by how? Holy Spirit. God shows his goodness to the ain'ts. You know how God shows his goodness to the ain'ts through the Holy Spirit? By working his gift of grace into individuals. And he did that to many of you. But God also shows his goodness in another way. He shows his goodness by working his gift of grace into others through you. And so we're going we're gonna to be spending the rest of this series on this. Now, take a look. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit gives gifts to every single saint, to every single Christian. He ministers to the saint. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, now, to each one, to every saint. Now, remember who he's addressing. He's addressing saints here. To every, to, uh, now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. I have dot, dot, dot on my paper. There's no dot, dot, dot in the original. But for what? For the common good. For the common good. 
He not only sheds his grace that you may be convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment and be saved. He not only sheds through the Holy Spirit that grace into your life. Used to be an eighth, but now you're a saint. But at the same time, when God makes you born again, he gives you gifts. Gifts are put into place. A transforming gifts are put in place that are supposed to use by you and re-gifted to everyone else who you meet. That means that the spiritual gifts are given when you become a Christian. Everybody in this room, everyone who's a member of the body of Christ, you know what's true? The ministry power of Christ has come into your life. The ability in a very special way to serve people so that they will be changed and they will be transformed is in your life. Now, uh, I haven't even given a definition of what a spiritual gift is yet, have I? This, we're one and a half way, you know, weeks into this series. And I, I want to get, there were so many, you, you look around, you read your theology books, blah, blah, this thing. There's a hundred different ones. This is the best one I found. And let me read it and then I'll translate it to English. A spiritual gift is an enablement to meet the needs of people. It is given by the Holy Spirit on the basis of God's free grace in such a way that people are brought more under the lordship of Christ with the result that the body of Christ is built up in quality and quantity. You know what? That's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. Now, it's a long sentence, uh, but it's a definition. And every part is, is, is good and well thought. That's why I thought it was the best. Look, a spiritual gift if, if you want to kind of dumb it down so like I, could, I, I understand it easily, a spiritual gift is the ability you have, to bring, uh, you have to bring somebody, anybody, whether they're in the church or even outside the church, we're going to be talking about some of those gifts, under the lordship and kingship of Christ so that there's restoration in that person's life. See, the ministry power of Christ that resides in every single Christian has the power to heal the broken. To begin to restore lives that are shattered. Jesus, time and again in his ministry, told his disciples he was going to establish his kingdom. And we know that, you know what? That's, that is, there's going to be a very special, you know, very earthy, very, you know, grab onto a kind of kingdom coming. But right now, the kingdom has begun in a, in a different way. It's begun one life at a time. It's begun in the hearts of men and women. We've, said, we've mentioned this many times. It's begun in the hearts of men and women that call him Lord. They call Jesus Lord. And when people begin to call him Lord, you know what happens? He begins to heal them from the brokenness that characterizes their life. And when he begins to take charge of things, things begin to get healed. Whenever Jesus shows up, there's a healing coming. Hallelujah. Right? Hallelujah. There is a healing coming when Jesus shows up. The reason they're broken in the first place is because, you know what? They're in an environment that they were never supposed to be in, and they're running uh, in a way that they're not supposed to run. That's why we break down. That's why we die. Blaise Pascal, great, great scientist, said, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus. Why are things in such a mess that they're in? Because everything and everyone is running around with this giant vacuum or hole in their hearts that we weren't meant to operate with. We were never meant to operate with a hole in our hearts. Everyone is built to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ who fills the hole in the heart. Now, here's a question. Riddle me this, as the Riddler used to say to Batman. What does a jogger on Mars, a snowman in Miami... And a goldfish laying around on a couch watching the Food Network all have in common. 
What do they all have in common? They what? Shortness of, you know what? Shortness of life. Uh, that's, that's actually, that's, that's kind of the answer. Listen, they're all doing something that we're not built to do. A jogger running along the frozen slopes of Mount Sharp, you know, where they, the rover thing is, you know, we set this thing up and it's going like about three inches a month up, up there, whatever. It's, it's on Mount Sharp. Listen, if a guy starts running along those slopes, you know, near the, near, near the thing and kind of passes it, he, he was not meant to be in that atmosphere, which is a hundred times thinner than the Earth's, and it's 95% carbon dioxide, 3% nitrogen. His lungs aren't built for that. He's, he's in alien territory, alien atmosphere. And you know what happens really quick? He begins to break down. And then you know what will happen really soon? He dies. He dies. A snowman is meant for Minnesota, not Miami. In Florida, Frosty is going to begin to melt immediately. A fish may initially enjoy diners, drive-ins, and dives or cake boss while lying on the couch watching the Food Channel. But listen, by the time the first commercial comes, he's starting to dry out and he'll be dead before the first commercial even ends. He will be dead. His lungs weren't made for that. In the same way, the Bible says that every single problem, every single problem that we encounter, comes because everything and everybody is built to be under the complete management of Jesus Christ. But it ain't. See, that's why we have problems. So when people begin to operate outside the management of Jesus Christ in their finances, in their relationships, in their sex life, in their business interactions, you know what happens to them? They begin to break down. Why are there so many crazy old people? Uh, Is it because, and I was thinking about this this morning, I was thinking about this this morning. You know, I say, well, they're older and they start to live. Do you know what it is? you know what I really believe it is? I think it's a cumulative effect of not living under the lordship of Christ a lot of times. A lot of, a lot of the people that I've spoken to, they, they don't know God. They don't want to know God. And I think this, it's almost a cumulative effect. I know I'm going to get emails about that one. So just, <laughs> I know. I, I, you know, I should really stick to the script here. I really should do that. Anyway, um, I, I think that, that happens a lot of times. But listen, when Christ is not ruling... We begin to break down. But when he comes into a life, he begins to heal. He begins to restore when people come under his kingship. When I myself come under his kingship, when you do, and when I help others to come under his kingship, you know what happens? Healing. People begin to heal. So how does God do that? How does he help his people do that? Well, he gives charis. He gives Grace. He gives gifts. Spiritual gifts that when they're deployed by his children to whom they've been given will help bring others incrementally under the lordship and kingship of Jesus Christ so there's a restoration in the person's life. Do you get that? They'll begin to heal. So that they will, in increasing measure, be removed from the environment that they were never meant to ex- operate and exist in and put increasingly in an environment that they were meant to be in. See? And they get healed. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 7, the last verse that Gene wrote, read for us this morning. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The manifestation... Of the Spirit. You say, well, that's, it's just kind of an attitude. It's, it's motivation. As long as I have good motivation. No, 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 no. See, a, a, a spiritual gift is not what you are. It's what you do. That's the spiritual gift, gift operating. It's, it's, it's an action. It's not just an attitude. It's a visible thing you do, and it meets other people's needs, or, you know, the way some 
uh, translations, you may have a translation that you carry on. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in that verse, verse 7 says, it edifies people. What is edification? It means it builds them up. It builds them uh, into people uh, who look, begin to look like Jesus. In the New Testament, whenever you see the word edify, it's a very, very important Greek word. It means to build somebody in, into the house. Build them into the house of God. Um, for instance, you know what? I, there's stuff going on in the house. There's, there's enmity going on in your house. Uh, things are going poorly. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of yelling. There's a lot of screaming going on. There's bitterness. There's anger. And I sit down one day, and I'm sitting there you know, at, the, at, the, at the kitchen table, and you go to yourself, what's, you know, what is wrong with this picture? As a Christian, you know, I know what it's supposed to look like. I gotta bring, you know what? I gotta bring this thing under, under the kingship of Christ. I need help. So you go to church, you know, one Sunday, and there's a wonderful message given by someone who's gifted in helping people understand that, you know what? I, all of a sudden I realize I'm holding a grudge and I'm disobeying Jesus. And, and how am I gonna change the environment? I, I, have to, I have to be part of this changing the environment. I need to let go of this grudge. I need to find out about forgiveness. Because I'm living in an environment that I was never meant to live in. And I have to say, am I neglecting giving this relationship priority? You know, maybe I haven't given this, maybe I've been ignoring this person, you know? Have I prayed about, have I been praying for her? Have I been praying for him? There's all sorts of things that the word of God tells you you should be doing. So this brother, with this gift of prophecy, and that's what it is, proclaiming, you know, this is right now, hopefully, I'm using a gift of prophecy. You know, this gift, this brother with the gift of prophecy shows me that I'm in, I'm, I'm in need of repentance and I'm in need to obey God in a fresh new way and bring my life unto the kingship of Jesus Christ. I have to repent. And to the degree I bring my relationship and in my heart under the lordship of Christ, I begin to experience restoration from the brokenness. And I was helped by the preacher. Did you see that? Someone using their gift, helping someone else. You worry a lot. High anxiety. You know, you're known as the warrior. You need to come under the lordship of Christ. You have a friend. She has a special gift whereby the Spirit has empowered her to apply knowledge to life in such a way as to make spiritual truths quite relevant and quite practical in proper decision-making, in daily life situations. She's been given this gift. And she sees your struggle. She sees it. She says, girlfriend, you know, when you worry, what you're really doing, what you're saying is, Lord Jesus, you're in charge of history. I believe that. Uh, but I'm afraid that you don't get this situation. This is, you know, you get history and the whole deal, but this is, this is special. You know, my situation here. I'm afraid that you're not going to get it right. You're saying, I know exactly what needs to happen in my life. And if I were in charge of history, I'd be doing just the right thing. But I'm not sure that I could trust you to do just the right thing. See, that's what worry is. Worry is a refusal to give him kingship in our lives. And see, this dear sister... Helps me understand that. You know what? And you know what happens? Through her gift of wisdom, she reorients me to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And you know what happens? I'm helped. It actually helps me. In a couple of small cracks, and a little bit of my brokenness begins to heal. Faith, giving, mercy, Teaching, wisdom. How might God use these gifts to fill the cracks in the lives of other people? See, God spreads his gifts to you and through you so that everyone could experience his goodness. To bring my anxiety under the lordship of Christ. To bring my relationships under the lordship of Christ. To bring any number of areas of my life under the lordship of Christ. You know what it means? It means that a healing is going on. 
is restoration. God spreads his gifts to you and through you so that all may experience his goodness. Jesus Christ was whole. He didn't need anything from me. He didn't need anything from anybody. He was a perfect man, perfect God. But he became broken so that our brokenness could be healed. That's what he did on the cross. He came so that through him, my brokenness, my brokenness of mind and spirit and relationship and motivation and attitude, which was shattered, to, could begin to heal and we could experience and I could experience the goodness of God. Folks, God has spread his grace, caris, his gifts, to saints and to ain'ts, and he's spread it out to the saints, which we're going to be keying in on over the next few weeks. Why? So that one who you come in contact with can experience the goodness of God and begin to experience restoration. And that's what we want from this church, and that's what God wants from every single person in this auditorium. Father, we just pray now that over these next weeks that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, Lord God, of sin. Uh, show us, Lord God, where you have uniquely, miraculously you know, gifted us with uh, the Spirit, Lord God, and the gifts that he has given us. We pray that we would understand that we are to use these gifts, Lord God, not for ourselves, not to hoard them, but we, we have been given these gifts of grace so that others, when spread to the lives of others, can be restored and their brokenness healed. God and uh, good things begin to happen and the goodness of God can be recognized by our families and our friends and our co-workers and everyone we meet. Use us, O oh God. Open our minds and our hearts over these next few weeks, we pray in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.